Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Well, we're going to uh, we're going to uh, continue. I don't know if this will be the last week or not. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I did a teaching on. We've been in a series called The Helper, which is taken out of John 16, where Jesus says, "And I will pray the Father, and He will send you another Comforter." Now, some translations say Comforter. Some translations say helper. Some say uh, one who stands beside you. Uh, it, it's an all-encompassing word. God, I'm getting a little bit too much feedback here on the, on the mic. Um, it's an all-encompassing word that means counselor, comforter, standby, helper, aider, one who comes to your assistance, one who stands beside you. It means a lot of things. And as Jesus... Uh, is going through this last night before he goes to the cross. He's talking about the coming Holy Spirit. Four different times he refers to the Comforter. The Holy Spirit is the Comforter. Three of those times he calls him the Spirit of Truth. So you have this in John 16 verses or John 14 verses 16 through 17, and he says, "And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper." that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And we've been over this verse so many times, but I've just really spent a lot of time meditating on these verses lately, and I just, uh, just God keeps showing me different things. So two weeks ago, we looked at that the Holy Spirit from John chapter 16, verse 13, it says the Holy Spirit or the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. That he doesn't guide you just into some truth. He doesn't guide you into partial truth. He guides you into all truth. And if you remember that when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, I will send another comforter. The word another means just like me. It means a duplicate, a replica. It, 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 Jesus literally could be saying, I'm going to send you my twin brother. So that everything that Jesus is, everything that Jesus was, the Holy Spirit is going to come and represent that perfectly. So we know that Jesus, one of the things Jesus said, he said in John, earlier in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that Jesus is truth. We know that God the Father is truth, and we know that the Word is truth. When Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17, verse 17, he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth, which means the Father's truth. Sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy by your truth. And then he says, your word is truth. So that God's word is truth, the Father's truth, Jesus' is truth, and now we have the Holy Spirit coming, who is the Spirit of truth. John 15, 26 says that the Spirit of truth will testify of Jesus. So everything the Spirit is doing is pointing us to Jesus. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he was, all the, the truth that he was, the Holy Spirit points to that and testifies and bears witness of that. So something about truth is truth doesn't change, right? When it, something is a truth, it's eternal. He says, I'm sending the Spirit of truth who will abide with you forever. He's going to be in you. You're going to have truth in you that never changes. And, and so a lot of times we think, see things in the world and we think they're facts or we think they're truth, 
but then they change. See, there's some things about God. God says, if, if I know that God's truth, and I know that, that God's word is truth, and I know that Jesus is truth, that should mean they never change. God says in Malachi 3.6, he says, I am the Lord your God, I change not. We know that Jesus says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse, 18, verse 8, he says, Jesus Christ, the same, actually Jesus didn't say it, it was the writer of Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we know that God's word never changes. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, forever, how long? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now, I do hear people sometimes, they'll say, and if you said this, for, uh, please don't let me offend you, because I used to say this. They'll say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. See, Don said that before. <laughs> me believing it doesn't settle it. Right. See, God's word says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Yeah. It's settled whether I believe it or not. The truth is the truth. I don't have to believe it in order to settle it. It's settled. So that when God's word says something, when Jesus says something, when God says something, and when the Holy Spirit bears witness of it, I can have confidence in it because it doesn't vacillate. It's not yes today, no tomorrow. Maybe, maybe next week. It's yes and amen. Right? So all the promises of God are yes and amen. So when the Holy Spirit starts convincing you of something, he starts teaching you something, he starts leading you, you can trust him because he doesn't change. Because Jesus doesn't change. Because God's word doesn't change. And because God does not change. See, too often we, st you know, we, have, we have trouble trusting people. We have trouble trusting people because they let us down. Because they lie to us. Right? Because we, or sometimes we don't want the truth. Right? If I asked you to... Ooh, now that was the $1,000 iPad. Alright. Like I said, that was pro prophecy earlier. I need a $1,000 iPad. No, I'm just kidding. We're all good. That still had the anointing on it. Alright. Well, I got room to move here, right? Where was I? Yes and amen. So too often, sometimes we don't want to deal with the truth. Sometimes we avoid the truth. We know the truth, but we don't want to receive the truth. Probably if I had you get out your driver's license right now and I put a scale up here, I could prove that to you. <laughs> My wife goes, hey, <laughs> she living a lie every day, right? Well, that's what I weighed when I was 22. Well, baby, you ain't 22 anymore. Now, in all fairness, she would say to me, Fred, your license says you're six feet, but you ain't six feet. And my wife says that I'm five foot 11 and three quarters. But I say, hey, you got to use all you got. So if you need the hair to get that six feet, and as I get older and continue to go down, my hair is going to go higher so I can maintain the truth of six feet. 
Sometimes we don't want to deal with the truth. See, if you look up the definition of the word truth, in the Merriam, uh, this was the Cambridge Dictionary, it says the quality of being true. And if you look up the Greek word that means truth, or in the Bible, that's the same definition, the quality or nature of being true. But I, I want you to notice the digression here as, as definitions enter the English language. Look, look how it goes. So the second thing says the actual fact or facts about a matter. Have you ever heard a fact and then a week later that fact changes? Yeah. Right. So then if it changed and truth doesn't change, then it really wasn't the truth. Or more yet, it says a belief or principle that's thought to be true by most people. So there's things today that are culturally acceptable, or maybe the majority believes it, but just because it's the majority, just because it's acceptable, that changes every year. There's things acceptable today that weren't acceptable 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago. That doesn't make them truth. It just makes them acceptable to the majority. See, God's word truth doesn't change. You have to establish something that's a standard in your life. See, too many people say, well, truth is whatever you think it is, or it's whatever you feel it is, or what it's ever right for you. It's subjective. It's not. All facts, all beliefs, all principles must be subjected to the standard of God's word, because it doesn't change. It's always truth. So a lot of times, you know, and I think I talked two weeks ago about the difference between facts and the truth. So you might have a doctor's report. Let's say you go get an x-ray. And you get an x-ray and the doctor says, you have a mass, you have a growth, whatever it is. You have a broken bone. Doesn't matter what it is. That is a fact. That's a fact. You have an x-ray to prove it. I go to God's word, 1 Peter 2.24, and it says, by his stripes, I was healed. So now I have a fact that says I have a growth. I have a truth that says I was healed 2,000 years ago. And if I was healed, I am healed. Which one do I believe? Go to the next slide, because this is a good point. Because some people fear facing the facts. See, some people say, I don't have a tumor. Well, I, I don't have a cold. I don't have COVID. I don't have cancer. Well, yeah, you do. You do. That's a fact. Oh, don't say it. Don't say cancer. Don't say COVID. You might get it if you say it. Come on. Really? Maybe the mask is to keep your mouth shut. I don't know. See, faith... Faith is not denying the facts. It's a fact. Faith does not deny the reality of the fact. Faith denies the fact from having influence in my life. See, I'm going to allow God's word, the truth, which is a superior reality, to carry the weight of what's true in my life. I'm not denying I have an issue. I got an issue. But I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to put my faith in what the superior reality is. The superior reality says I've been delivered. The superior reality is I've been forgiven. The superior reality is I've been healed. 
Not what I see, not what I feel, not what I experience, not what my mother told me, my mother-in-law or my wife. doesn't matter what God's Word says. That's what matters. All right, next slide. So how do I know? How do I know what truth is? So here's a good verse in 1 John chapter 2. Same writer of the book of John says, the anointing, now some translations, you have a different translation, instead of anointing, it'll say Holy Spirit. The anointing which you have received from him abides where? Where does the anointing abide? In me. Say, the anointing abides in me. In me. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true. Some translations say and is true truth and is no lie you have the capacity to know all truth because all truth resides in you if you've made jesus lord of your life if the holy spirit lives in you which happens the day you get saved you have truth residing in you do you listen to it do you listen to it do you let him lead you? Do you let him teach you? Do you let him guide you? See, it's super important that we learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that's in us because there's another voice in the world. If all truth is in the Holy Spirit, <laughs> we have another one out there trying to vie for our attention too. The devil. And he doesn't have just a little bit of truth. Next slide. He's got no truth. See, the Holy Spirit, you can trust him because all truth is in him. Now, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and says, You're of your father, the devil desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. None. No truth. Nothing the enemy will ever tell you is true. See, once he was rendered powerless at the cross, he has no authority over you. He has no power over you. The only, the, authority, the only authority he has in your life is what you give him. See, people that have no power, all they can do is lie. That's all he can do. Because if he can, get, he can lie to you and convince you other than the truth and deceive you, he can get you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says uh, that the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't have the ability to devour anybody that he wants to. He's got to find somebody that will partner up with the lie that he's telling. Because if he can get you to embrace a lie, he can steal, he can kill, and he can destroy you but he's got to do it through deception because his power is gone. I like what the, uh, the Passion Translation says. Let's look at this next slide. Uh, just a part of it says, he's full of nothing but lies. <laughs> Lying is his native tongue. Lying is his native tongue. When he speaks, that's all that comes out. He, doesn't, he wouldn't know the truth if it hit him in the head. He just talks and lies come out. He's a master of deception 
and the father of lies. So you got to have a choice. Am I going to listen to the spirit of truth? Or am I going to listen to the father of lies? So if he's the master of deception, he's very cunning, very sneaky. He does things with trickery. You know, sometimes you might think, well, I might need to be afraid of him. Next slide. So here's the thing. You don't have to be scared of the devil. You do not need to be scared of him. You have authority over him. You have the name of Jesus. You have the blood of Jesus. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. He's powerless. You don't need to be scared of the enemy, but you need to be prepared. Not scared, prepared. So here's the text I want to look at today, but not maybe the way that we normally would look at it. Next slide. So I want to look here at Ephesians. We're going to look at the, the I want to just talk for a minute. We're going to look at the, the armor of God. I'm not going to go through each piece in the way that maybe you've thought about it before, but a little bit different. So let me just say a couple things here. When we read this, a lot of times people read the, this passage, Ephesians chapter 6, it's verses 10 through 18, and you read only through verse 17, and you find six pieces of armor. Well, six is the number of man. There's really seven. And you have to include verse 18. I, I just want to, I want to point that out to you. Seven's a perfect number. It's a God number. And um, there's a very, very powerful weapon that's listed seventh. A lot of people don't realize it's part of the armor of God. So I've numbered them. As we go through here, I've got the New Living Translation up here, and I've numbered them. So if you see numbers throughout there, you'll understand why. So I also want to point out that I don't think it's a coincidence it's not, because God doesn't work on coincidences, that he lists what he lists first. I want you to think about that. Why did God list first what he listed first? Because God's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He's not a God of confusion. He puts things in a certain order for a reason. All right. So Paul says to the Ephesian church, chapter 6, verse 10, he says, The final word, be strong in the Lord and in the power and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to, everybody say, stand firm. Stand firm. I'm going to talk in a minute what that means. You put on all of the armor so you're able to stand firm against what? The strategies of the devil. And that word strategies means cunning devices, trickeries, deceptions. He schemes all the time. So he's scheming. He's not, and what you got to know is, is the devil is not equal to God. He's not, he's not God's opposite. He's not the antithesis of God. He was a created being. He's not, he's not equal to God. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at every, any time like God is. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not even omniscient. He doesn't know everything. So you've already got an advantage because you've got the one that is omnipotent, that is omniscient, that is omnipresent right here. You're already on the winning team. But you've got to put on the armor. So he says, I want you to put on the armor so that you can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Okay, next slide. 
There's a lot in here. We could spend a lot of time on I'm skipping over. To stand firm. So the reason I'm putting this on is so I can stand firm against what he's trying to do. Stand firm means to be immovable. Think of a foundation. So a building, when it's built, if it has no foundation, it's going to sink, it's going to crack, it's eventually going to fall down. So this is the armor is what gives you a solid foundation, a solid footing when you're taking on the enemy. To continue to be safe and sound, to stand unharmed, to stand ready or prepared, to be of a steadfast mind, one who does not hesitate and one who does not waver. So if, if, if the enemy's coming at me and I'm not ready, okay, uh, let's see. If he's coming at me with a left, do I, do I lead with the left or do I throw a right? Do I put my shield up? Do I step forward? Do I, I don't know what to do. So putting on the armor of God, and specifically the whole armor of God, will help you to have a firm foundation. It will help you to stay in a winning position. It's going to help you to know what to do, when to do it, what to say, where to say it, how to say it. It's all... It, going to let you know what to do. You're not going to be wondering. See, you can't get into a battle and in the middle of a battle wonder what to do. In the battle is not when you practice. See, you don't see football teams going on the field and practicing against their opponent. You don't see boxers getting in the ring and just sitting around for three months and then going to the title fight and saying, eh, I think I'll, I'll get a little boxing tonight against my opponent. I think it was Joe Frazier that was a boxer that said this. He said, champions aren't made in the ring. They're merely recognized there. And if you cheat in the early hours of the morning, it'll be found out under the lights at night. See, if you, if you don't practice, if you don't prepare, and you, now that you're in a battle, that's not the time to practice. You've got to be in the words. You've got to be in the Spirit. You've got to be renewing your mind. You've got to be talking to the Holy Spirit, talking to Jesus, spending time in His presence so that when it happens, you're ready. Because He's looking. He's lurking. He's scheming. That's not the time to say, Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, oh, oh, the devil. Uh, okay, Lord. Uh, uh, whew, what do I do? And He went out and hung Himself. Right? That's not the time to be flipping through your Bible. Oh, 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 oh I don't know what to do. Uh, Genesis uh, 20, 40, uh, 28. Uh, and Lot got drunk and, and slept with his daughter. No. You don't pull verses out of the Bible when you're in a, you're in a tizzy. Now, I'm not saying God can't use it. He does. I've heard testimony of it. Don't rely on that strategy. All right, next slide. Getting off topic. All right, here we go. Therefore, now what did I tell you? What's, look at number one. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, which tells me that there will be a time when this will happen. So he says, put it on so that you will be able to resist. He doesn't say, put it on when the evil day comes. He says, put it on so when the day comes, now you're able to stand. This is something you do in advance. This is something you do in preparation for the battle. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. 
Stand your ground, putting on number one, what? The belt, say it, the belt of truth. And the body of armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be able to be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up. Next slide. The shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on number five, salvation is your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit. Number six, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Number seven, praying in the spirit. Big weapon. All right, let's go back to the previous slide. I want to go to this number one. The belt of truth. So at the time this was written, the, the belt, if you, have a, if you have maybe a King James translation, it'll say, have your loins girded about with the belt of truth. And we don't really speak like, or have your loins girded about with truth. We don't really talk like that today. But if you read Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage, Matthew Henry says, and he was a, 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 a really a great theologian, he said that the, the, the belt at that time, or what the soldier girded himself around the waist with, is the very thing that secured all the other pieces of armor. It's what held all the other armor together. And on the belt would also be the scabbard, what we would call the sheath. And without the belt, there's nowhere to put the sword. There was also little daggers that they would keep in that belt. So you talk about a belt today, and now I'm not going to pull a Jerry Falwell Jr. here, if you, were, if you watch Instagram lately. But belts today, I'm a belt wearer, right? I, I, I'm not going to undress. I don't know why I just did that. Uh, I was going to take my belt off, but I've got my pack on the back. So belts aren't that common. You talk to somebody about wearing a belt today, they look at you like you got three heads. They say, I know what sagging is, but I don't know what a belt is. You guys know what sagging is? Walking around with your pants down, halfway down your butt cheek, showing off five inches of fruit of the loom. Calvin Klein's, Haynes, brown streaks, yeah, you, they, that's why I wear a belt. Yeah. Now, now, let me just tell you, nobody cares that you got through the looms or Haynes or Cat. Nobody cares, jockey. Get them out of here. See, think about this. If I got my pants hanging down around my, my, my waist or down around my rear end, and I go to get in a fight, Guess what I got to do with one hand? I got to take one hand just to hold my pants up. I only got one hand left. Forget them underwear. Get your belt on. Get your belt on. I don't need to see them boxers. You got to be prepared. You don't want the enemy coming up and you got to use one hand to... To, to, to run and juke and jive and punch. You need both. You need both hands. So he says, I want you to put a belt of truth around your waist. Truth is what holds everything else together. Truth is our standard. Truth is secure. Truth doesn't change. So I want to go to the next slide. I want you to see this. Actually, two slides. Next one. It's not a coincidence God chose to mention the belt of truth first because without truth in your life, the other pieces of armor will not be secure. 
Without truth in your life, the other pieces of armor will not be secure. I want to show you this. Next slide. A little graph for you. You can see that. If not, I'll read it to you. Think about this. So on the left, I've got the belt of truth that secures the other piece of armor. On the right, the lies of the enemy. Right? He's a deceiver. He's strategizing. So I apologize. I put down the King James Version on the left so they don't really look like they do in the New Living. But the first one, the breastplate of righteousness. The enemy comes along and says, you're such a hypocrite. How do you even call yourself a Christian? You're a sinner. That's what he wants to tell you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that condemns. See, the Holy Spirit's the one that convicts and convinces you of your righteousness. If I don't know the truth that says that Jesus became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God in Him, that it doesn't have anything to do with what I did, am doing, or will do, I am righteous because I put my faith in Jesus. It's not about what I did, it's about what He did Devil, get out of here. The gospel of peace. So a lot of times when people say, you know, they'll go back to Romans 10, and I get it because Romans 10 is about somebody taking the gospel. It says how beautiful are the feet of those who, who um, take the gospel, uh, gospel of peace. And it's talking about sharing the gospel. But this is about doing battle with the devil. So I think it's a little different. He says... God knows what you did. He's angry at you. God's not mad at you. Isaiah said that the covenant of peace, there will be no end. God said that he, or Paul said that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. That God died for you, that God loved you when you were a sinner. God's not mad at you. God's not even in a bad mood about you. It's peace. When the angel came to the shepherds, he said, on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. Jesus was bringing peace from God to man. Don't buy that lie. The shield of faith. You're going to fail. You're going to die. You're going to go broke. You might as well throw in the towel. Devil, I'm an overcomer. Maybe you didn't read the Bible, but I'm an overcomer. God's Word says I'm an overcomer. 1 John 5 says that whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. Get out of here. The helmet of salvation. Huh. You're lucky to be forgiven a sin. Forget about getting healed and delivered. You don't deserve any more than what you already got. Devil, I know that when Jesus died, salvation isn't just about the forgiveness of sins, but it's all-encompassing. He died for my healing. He died for my deliverance. He died for my restoration. Salvation means healing, deliverance, forgiveness, all of it. And he wants it for me. 
the sword of the Spirit, which is also what? The Word of God. How about when he came to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say that? Well, you know there's lots of errors in the Bible because all the years of translations, how do we even know if it's true? Did God really say that? Will God really send somebody to hell? Won't everybody go to heaven? See, the devil will even use Scripture. What about when he tempted Jesus? He said, the angels will catch you so you won't dash your foot against a stone. See, you've got to be really careful. If you don't understand Scripture in the context of Scripture, people, now remember it's the devil, but he usually works through people. People can take Scripture to make it untrue. That's what the devil does. See, I had to really rebuke my wife about a week ago. Two weeks ago. Kristen got some poison on her back. And so, you know, like a good husband, I, I would take a pad and I'd put some calamine on there. And after about a week, the poison's still there and we prayed for it. So we're in bed one night and she goes, oh baby, would you scratch my back? I was like, I ain't touching that poison. Crazy. She goes, oh, come on, just rub, rub that spot. I was like, I'm not touching that poison. I'm going to bed. She goes, well, baby, you know what the Bible said? The two shall be one flesh. So technically my poison's your poison. She says, you know what the Apostle Paul says? It says, we're all members one of another, and when one member suffers, we all suffer. Now, how can you refuse God's word? I'm like, because I don't want poison. She goes, oh, come on, scratch my back. You know, with the two or one. I was like, right, five, finally gave in. And guess what? I woke up on my, the next morning on my hand. Poison. I'm just being funny. But the devil will use scripture in the wrong context and it becomes untrue. So you got to watch. Prayer in the Spirit. If you've, if you've been not only saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but you've been filled and baptized in the Spirit, you have the ability to pray in the Spirit. It's a phenomenal weapon against the enemy. When you start operating in that, I can tell you from personal experience, the devil will be like, you big faker. You're making those words up. You don't even know how to speak that language. That's a lie. It's a lie. He, want, he, he knows how powerful it is. And he'll try to tell you, you're making it up, you're faking it. It's just a bunch of gibberish. And you can send that one packing too. So do you see how knowing the truth, all these other things hang on the truth? Because if I don't know the truth about each piece, the lie is going to seem reasonable. Next slide. Just threw this in here. Truth is synonymous with victory. See, 
truth brings about victory. And I want to just show you two quick passages. I don't want to teach on this because there's a lot here too. But there's a verse in Matthew chapter 12, 20, talking about Jesus. And Matthew is re recounting a story, and, and uh, you have to read the whole thing, but it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. Now that's how the Holy Spirit translated that verse in the New Testament. But when Isaiah wrote it, in Isaiah 42, 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax will not quench, he will bring forth truth, justice for truth. The point is, is that when the Holy Spirit interpreted what Isaiah wrote that says he'll bring forth justice for truth, he translates truth as victory. See, when you get the truth about each of the pieces of armor, when you get the truth of the Holy Spirit leading you, you're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win over every circumstance in life, over everything that enemy sends at you, you're a winner. See, he's already defeated. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to start leading you, he's going to lead you into truth, which leads to victory. But you've got to let him lead. You've got to let him teach. You've got to be willing to receive it. Next slide. Corona cough, that's a water went down the wrong pipe cough. Sorry. <clears throat> the more truth <clears throat> that you receive, the more victory that will manifest in your life. The opposite's true too. The more deception that you embrace, the more defeat that will manifest in your life. Think of it like this, is you've got truth on one side and you've got deception on the other. You're, if you're pursuing and embracing and receiving truth, you're automatically rejecting a lie. So you can't walk east and west at the same time. If I'm embracing a lie, what am I rejecting? The truth. The more lies I embrace, the more deception I embrace, the more defeat, the more failure will manifest in my life. As I embrace the truth, as I receive the truth, as I put my faith in the truth, victory will be the result. All right, I'm going to close with this. Next slide. Let's skip, let's skip this. Let's go to the next slide. So, do you remember the story when Jesus fed the 5,000? So when that was over, it says that Jesus puts his disciples in the boat, and he says, I want you to go to the other side. And it says, all night this great storm came up, obviously from the enemy, because it was impeding them from doing what God had told them to do. 
so much so that they were still struggling against the waves. It was, it was the fourth watch of the night, which was around 3 o'clock in the morning. And so here they are all night struggling against the waves. It's the wind, the waves beating against the boat. They've only made it about halfway across the Sea of Galilee, which is about a few miles in. And Jesus is up on the mountain praying. And he sees them, and he goes down, and it says he's walking on the water. And in the midst of this storm, they look out, and they see Jesus, but they think it's a, a ghost or a spirit. Kind of funny thing it was, it, it was the Holy Spirit, but they think it's like a, a bad ghost. And it says they're instantly afraid. They think it's a ghost, and they're afraid. And Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, fellas, it's me. It's me, Jesus okay and he's standing on the water and Peter says Lord if it be you bid me to walk to you on the water and what's Jesus say come what's Peter looking for Peter's looking for truth Peter's looking for truth Jesus, if it's you, bid me to walk to you on the water. And when Jesus says, come, what's he saying? It's me. He says, Peter answers, says, Lord, it's for you. Command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, a lot of times we read this, and I saw this new this week says, but when he saw, it doesn't say when he saw the wind. Actually, some translations say that. I, I, I think this gives the intent of it. It says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous. So it's not like he didn't see the wind. Yes, I get people say, well, you're looking at Jesus. He took his eyes off Jesus. I get all that. But in the midst of this, this, these are, this is wind and waves that they've been dealing with for six hours. So it's not like he wasn't seeing the waves and the wind the whole time. Even when Jesus was there, even when Jesus had come, he's still seeing the wind and waves. But it says, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, that word actually means mighty-er, or stronger. It's used when John the Baptist says, there is one coming who is mightier than I. Think about what just happened here. Six hours, whatever it is. He's seeing the wind. He's seeing the waves. He says he's looking for truth. He says, God, Jesus, if it's you... Bid me to come on the water. And Jesus says, come. And he stood on the water. And he walked on the water. Until he saw that the wind was mightier. Stronger. More boisterous than what? Than the word. Seeing the wind and waves the whole time. But when he looked 
and elevated the facts of the situation above the truth of the word. He sunk. Here's what I want to tell you today. Last slide. Just one word of truth carries in it the power and potential to walk on water. One word of truth. But you got to step into it. You got to receive it. You got to believe what the Holy Spirit's telling you. See, one word is so pregnant that one word of truth can supersede 4,000 years of history. 4,000 years, nobody did that. But one word of truth was a higher reality than the truth that you can't walk on water. So I think about, when I think about this and I hear about one word, do you remember when the angel came to Mary? Luke chapter 1. And he says, the Holy, she, he said, you're going to have a, you're going to conceive a child in your womb. And she says, how's that going to happen? Because I, I don't, I don't know a man. I haven't known a man. I haven't had intercourse. How's it going to happen? He says, the, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Almighty will overshadow you. And he said, oh yeah, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant, who was also called barren. And he says, with God, nothing shall be impossible. The word nothing is three Greek words that are upas rhema, which means no thing spoken. No thing spoken is impossible. No spoken word of God is without power in itself to accomplish the thing it commands. And what did Mary say? Be it unto me according to your rhema word. You don't need a 10-minute prophecy. They're great. I've had them. You just need a word from God. Peter walked on water with one word. Come. But you got to be willing to listen to the truth. And that truth is in you. Let's stand and pray for you today. We're going to go. Not going to have a typical altar call today, but if you're here today and don't know Jesus, all you need to say is, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe that you came to die for me, that you were buried, rose again, and I believe in you. And I declare you as Lord of my life. If you do that, God says you're a new creation. The old's passed away. All things have become new. But I want to pray for you today. I believe some of you in here need direction. You need truth in a situation. You need a word from God. 
I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and give you what you need. Maybe you received it sitting here. Sometimes as I'm, you, whether it's me or anybody else, you're hearing the Word of God and the Spirit of God is speaking behind the scenes. Some of you might need to spend a little time alone. But I can tell you this, that the Holy Spirit has the answer for every situation you might be in. Every situation. God knows about it. God's prepared for it. And it's His pleasure to, to provide for you. So I just want to, is there anybody here today, just has, you don't have to come up, just give me a little wave. You've got a specific need and you just want to, uh, just want to just kind of affirm that, that you want me to stand in agreement with you. Anybody online? If you have, and also, if you're online, you have prayer requests, you want to type those in, we certainly will pray for you. Let's just pray. Father, I just thank you right now that you have given us your very spirit. The spirit of truth. Lord, truth that supersedes every, not just every negative situation, Lord, but truth that supersedes facts that seem like reality. Father, that anything that's not grounded and rooted in your truth, Lord, is a lie. So Holy Spirit, right now, I know there's needs. I know you're the great physician. You're the great provider. You're Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. Father, Jehovah Shalom, people that are, are having anxiety right now, I just declare peace over them in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. We bless your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.